The first American Thanksgiving was meant to express gratitude for the creation and ratification of the Constitution, and it was defended in the halls of Congress as a parallel to Solomon's Thanksgiving, the creation and dedication of the first Beit HaMikdash, the first temple. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 102, The Thanksgivings of Solomon and Roger Sherman. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Let us begin with the tale of America's first national Thanksgiving. September 25, 1789, the Constitution had only recently been ratified. George Washington had been sworn in as the first president of the United States several months earlier. Now, the House of Representatives was preparing to adjourn its first session and Representative Elias Boudinot of New Jersey put forward a proposal. In telling the story, I must express my gratitude to my friend, the great writer and editor Melanie Kirkpatrick, who tells the tale of American Thanksgiving in an article in the Wall Street Journal and in a wonderful book. The annals of Congress tell us, Mr. Boudinot said he could not think of letting the session pass over without offering an opportunity to all the citizens of the United States of joining with one voice in returning to Almighty God their sincere thanks for the many blessings he had poured down upon them. With this view, therefore, he would move the following resolution, resolved that a joint committee of both houses be directed to wait upon the President of the United States to request that he would recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a constitution of government for their safety and happiness." This means, ladies and gentlemen, that Thanksgiving as a national holiday was first proposed in the United States, not as a remembrance of the pilgrims, but rather to express gratitude to God for the creation and ratification of the country's constitution. And though gratitude for this undertaking may seem an uncontroversial proposition today, Boudinot's proposal was anything but uncontroversial. It inspired a fierce debate, and we have to understand Congress's concerns. Through the ratification of the constitution, America had been transformed from a once-loose confederation of states into a veritable empire, the largest republic the world had ever known. And in the office of president, the Constitution had created an executive in certain ways more powerful than some kings. For that reason, in the debates that raged over the Constitution's ratifications, some, known as anti-federalists, argued that the Constitution was a violation of everything for which the colonists had fought and bled. Thus, Patrick Henry said, quote, when the American spirit was in its youth, the language of America was different. Liberty, sir, was the primary object, end quote. And Henry added that the Constitution would make Americans, quote, subjects of one great consolidated empire of America, end quote. Many of the representatives were worried that their newly created country might come to imitate European kingdoms across the ocean. There were therefore some who were not all that excited about giving gratitude to God for the Constitution and were especially wary of asking a president to express these sentiments on behalf of a nation, as if he were a European monarch. And in the end, the argument put forward in defense of the National Day of Thanksgiving was not only a wise one, it was positively Solomonic. And I mean that literally, because it was the story of Solomon that we are studying that was cited at an important congressional debate in American history. The chapters that followed the bestowal by God of wisdom to Solomon discuss the superpower that Solomon built. Indeed, this marks the only time in history, perhaps, that the people of Israel were a superpower. Chapter 4, verse 20, continuing into chapter 5, verses 1, 4, and 5. 
Judah and Israel were many as the sand which by the sea for multitude. They ate, they drank, and were joyful. And Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms, from the river to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought presents and served Solomon all the days of his life. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, from Tifsa to Azza, over all the kings on this side of the river. And he had peace on all sides round about him. And Judah and Israel dwelt in safety, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. We will discuss in later lectures the downside of what will be required to maintain Solomon's empire. But for now, we will address what is truly admirable. At this moment of great power, Solomon thought first and foremost of his father's dream of creating a temple and of giving thereby glory to God. And so he reaches out to Hiram, king of Tyre, asking for building materials and artisans. Verse 19, verses 31 and 32. And behold, I propose to build a house to the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy place, he shall build the house to my name. Now therefore command thou that they you for me cedar trees out of the Lebanon, and my servants shall be with thy servants. And the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones, to lay the foundation of the house with dressed stones, and Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders, and the men of Gibal did you them. So they prepared timber and stone to build the house. The blueprint, instruments, and structure of the temple will be discussed in another lecture this week. What is important to stress here is Solomon's focus on creating the temple. Solomon then gathers all Israel in Jerusalem to celebrate the temple's completion and dedication, engaging in a great public act of thanksgiving. Chapter 8, verse 22. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in the heaven above or on the earth beneath, who keepest covenant and troth with thy servants, who walk before thee with all thy heart. It was this moment of Solomon's dedication and thanksgiving that was cited at this debate in the Congress over Thanksgiving. As we mentioned, many representatives opposed the proposal of a national holiday. According to the Annals of Congress, Representative Adonis Burke of South Carolina argued that he, quote, did not like this mimicking of European customs, where they made a mere mockery of Thanksgivings, end quote. Another Southerner, Representative Tudor Tucker, chimed in with similar sentiments, quote, why should the president direct the people to do what perhaps they have no mind to do? They may not be inclined to return thanks for a constitution until they have experienced that it promotes their safety and happiness. If a day of Thanksgiving must take place, let it be done by the authority of the several states, end quote. Thanksgiving, then, was, from the very beginning, not all that well-received by everyone in Congress. It was under attack. And at that moment, Boudinot's Thanksgiving proposal was defended by an important and underappreciated American founder, Roger Sherman. Sherman was one of the men to represent Connecticut in the Continental Congress leading up to the Revolution. But a bit of his own biography has been forever maligned by the musical 1776, as many of you may be familiar The Roger Sherman character, when asked to compose the declaration, famously responds, Mr. Adams, dear Mr. Adams, I cannot write with any style or sense of etiquette. I cannot tell a participle from a predicate. I am just a simple cobbler from Connecticut. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a calumny. Roger Sherman may have had no formal schooling, but he was also one of the few to have signed both the Declaration and the Constitution, and he was the one who conceived and crafted the Connecticut Compromise, creating two types of legislatures, House and Senate, which allowed the Constitution to come into existence. A simple cobbler from Connecticut, indeed. The truth is, 
that America came about through the efforts of many remarkable men, though we tend to focus on the most famous. And in defending the Thanksgiving proposal in the House, Sherman cited not civics but the Bible. And here we find something amazing. Mr. Sherman, the annals of Congress inform us, quote, justify the practice of Thanksgiving on any signal event, not only as a laudable one in itself, but as warranted by a number of precedents in holy writ. For instance, the solemn thanksgivings and rejoicings which took place in the time of Solomon after the building of the temple. This example, he argued, was worthy of imitation, end quote. The argument appears to have resonated, as we're then informed by the annals that, quote, the question was now put on the resolution and it was carried in the affirmative, end quote. The House put Sherman on a committee to meet with the Senate. The Senate also concurred, and the Congress requested that Washington issue a Thanksgiving statement. Washington issued his proclamation, urging Americans to gather on the 26th day of November to thank God for, quote, the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed, end quote. The first American Thanksgiving was meant to express gratitude for the creation and ratification of the Constitution, and it was defended in the halls of Congress as a parallel to Solomon's Thanksgiving, the creation and dedication of the first Beit HaMikdash, the first temple. Solomon, in a certain sense, is the source for Thanksgiving, and Sherman's point, I think, is profound. The ritual of giving thanks, Sherman was arguing, was not European, it was Hebraic, and Sherman, who knew his Bible, understood that the story spoke to the very moment in which America found itself. Solomon is giving thanks at a ceremony known as a Chanukat Habayit, a dedication of the house. It was Israel's original Chanukah, dedication of the temple. Solomon's Chanukah, his celebration and thanksgiving when the temple was built, was the precedent for Judah the Maccabees' rededication of the second temple in 165 BCE. But unlike the Hasmonean revolt, that we commemorate on Hanukkah today, Solomon's Hanukkah took place in the one moment in Jewish history when the kingdom of Israel had an empire of its own, with David's enemies defeated, and a magnificent temple atop the Temple Mount. When Solomon stood at the apex of political power, rather than celebrating himself, he immediately begins to build the temple. And in his thanksgiving to God, he dedicates his temple, his family, his government, to divine service, acknowledging his subservience to a greater force, to the guidance of God and to the service of God. Roger Sherman, who in the Constitutional Convention had himself favored a weaker executive, was, in his citation of the Book of Kings, essentially arguing, I think, to the First Congress, that if Americans were worried about the power that had been given its new government, that America has to imitate Solomon by acknowledging that the source of all power lay in God. Thus, another way in which the Bible figured in American history, Solomon's thanksgiving dedication following the creation of the Temple, was taken to be a sign of how a country ought to mark its unity while acknowledging its true ruler, which is God. It is therefore so appropriate that when the day of Thanksgiving was declared by Washington, it was embraced by the oldest congregation in Sherith Israel, observed with the recital of Psalms and the delivery of the first Jewish Thanksgiving sermon in America. I wrote about this observance at Sherith Israel on Thanksgiving in the Wall Street Journal right before I became the rabbi of the congregation. And I received the following wonderful letter, revealing how the Bible in some spheres is still important to Americans. This man wrote, quote, Good morning, Mr. Soloveitchik. Your wonderful essay on Thanksgiving Day and yesterday's Wall Street Journal made my day. As a devout Irish Catholic in Denver, Colorado, I am a firm believer in religious freedom for all, 
a huge fan of the Jewish people and the state of Israel. Your essay is historically instructive, emotionally moving, and a pleasant reminder of how gratitude and thanksgiving should be an active part of our daily lives. I count my many blessings daily and give thanks to God for all he has done for me. Your writing underscores how fortunate we are to live in such a welcoming country that allows and encourages our cultural and religious diversity. Today is my wife and my 29th wedding anniversary, so my thoughts of thankfulness and being blessed are many. I'll be thinking about your essay on Thanksgiving itself. Thanks for the wonderful message. I'm sure people around the world have enjoyed it. Best of luck to you in your new position at Sherith Israel. You'll be an instrument of God's peace and wisdom, compassion and hope. I think he picked the right man for the job. And then after these kind words, the man concluded the letter. Happy Thanksgiving and Hanukkah to you and your family. P.S. Time to bring my wife coffee in bed. End quote. The Bible has inspired in America in the past. For some Americans, it still inspires in the present. And we pray that just as Solomon's story inspired Roger Sherman, that future Americans be further inspired by sacred scripture in days to come. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.